0: Today is January 29th, 2024. I'm David Berlin, and this is the Blockchain Journal Podcast. Joining me today is Israel Mirsky. He is the co-founder or founding member and a director of something called the Pharma Collective. Pharma Collective is uh, what many people in the blockchain industry refer to as a DAO or a decentralized autonomous organization. And we're gonna learn a little bit more about what Pharma Collective is what it does and how it can serve as a model for the other industries uh, when it comes to applying blockchain to enterprise grade applications. But first, I just wanna point out that uh, you'll see some QR codes throughout this video. Those codes are for you to either visit the Blockchain Journal website or to find uh, Israel online. We'll put up his QR codes at the end of this video that show you where you can find him on his uh, various social accounts and uh, also where you can find more videos like this one from Blockchain Journal. So thanks very much for joining us today, Israel. Great to have you.
1: Great to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah. So let's start right off with the Pharma Collective. What is the Pharma Collective?
1: So the Pharma Collective is a nonprofit investing DAO focused on helping to enable human health. So we uh, live in a moment where there is a real crisis in pharmaceutical pricing in this country where there are drug shortages that affect everything from insulin to childhood chemotherapy drugs, um, and where the incentives in the ecosystem are really misaligned in ways that are uh, enabling and creating those conditions. So we need to create new ways to um, incentivize actors within that ecosystem, within that business, to do the things that are necessary for human health and not just the things that drive the most profits um, for the individual extremely large companies involved.
0: Okay, I'm not very knowledgeable when it comes to the pharmaceutical industry, uh, but I have done a fair amount of reading in the business press and, and, and I'm gonna try to kind of guess at what the problem here is, but I, I hope that maybe you'll elaborate a little bit more. So uh, my understanding is, is that if there's a big enough market enough people who are sick with some disease of some sort, then the drug manufacturers will invest the time, the money, and the effort to develop a drug because they see the potential of profit there. However, for those uh, ailments that are rare, uh, where research probably could unveil some sort of remedy uh, that work just doesn't take place because the different pharmaceutical companies don't see enough profit in the work. Is it, is that essentially sort of framing the idea here?
1: It's a little bit more complicated than that because the numbers are so large. So Mm -hmm. basically in the pharmaceutical world, almost all the investment flows downhill from a handful of companies, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And those companies, because of their size and because of the amount of growth that they need to show to the market, need to make a really enormous amount of money from each new drug that they put through the approval process in order to justify their cost structures and that investment, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in order to justify a new drug, the large pharmas basically need to see about, at this point, about $2 billion a year for 20 years of patent-protected income in order to invest in a development effort that is taking a drug through the phase trials Um, that would be necessary to get it approved by the FDA. And as a result, the nature of the drugs that they do this with are exclusively the most profitable drugs that they can identify. Not necessarily the ones that would create the most impact on human health because those things are not the same. And we'll talk about some other ways in which that's the case. But like, for example, um, just a couple of years ago, like since a couple of years ago, the, the, um, the, vast majority of drugs that were being approved by the FDA being taken through these phase trials were for example oncology drugs that extended life by weeks to months or um, because of some of the other incentives that the FDA offers orphan disease drugs which these drug companies can get enormous sums from health systems for but really only touch a very small number of people um, and uh, where there have been some incentives in place for getting those things through Right? What but, does that
0: mean by or- orphaned like
1: an orphan drug it's it's basically um, uh, a, a a drug that hits a disease for which there is no existing treatment I see okay right? so um, in the middle though, there are all of these uh, human health needs that are being underserved by pharmaceuticals and all of these types of drug programs that don't get um, invested in or are invested in and then killed because they threaten um, some existing large patent portfolio uh, winner that a drug company has. So they'll buy drugs that are promising um, and instead of investing and taking them through trials because they might be threatening, they'll just kill them um, because the investment isn't worth the squeeze compared to the money that they're Already making and the money that they've already invested in those drugs versus the relative amount of time that they'd be on patent.
0: So there's some risk there. Uh, they they take a cl- they buy the drug. They take a closer look at it. They uh, they decide that there's some risk associated with another drug manufacturer's intellectual property, and then they just abandon it because it's not even not worth the effort. more like
1: imagine you buy a drug that could uh, you have a 20 year um, Uh, patent life on a leading antidepressant that you're making billions of dollars a year on, right? Mm -hmm. And there's uh, a a drug program that's looking for a buyer out on the marketplace that maybe has only 10 years or seven years or six years worth of life on it, but it looks like it might be a better antidepressant than your winning drug. Um, But it hasn't been through the phase trials, right, to, to make it approved by the FDA. Well, they may buy that drug and then kill the drug program, not take it through development, because it would be a threat to X number of years of their revenue on the existing winning drug.
0: I get it, all right. So right. they don't, they don't <laughs> want some drug that's only got 10 years left to cannibalize their profits on something else that maybe has 15 years and left And there are a million
1: different examples of this kind of thing where mm-hmm. like, if, if you are looking at it from a purely business perspective, then they're sensible business decisions. But if you're thinking about them from a human health perspective, they're terrible. And like, and probably the biggest um, space for this is generic drugs, because, you know, there are over 10,000, 20, over 20,000, depending on how you count um, generic drugs that are generally recognized as safe, that have been through all the phase trials by the, by the FDA, and no one will touch them to do um, additional uh, trials on them to demonstrate that they're good for other things, because you can't make that kind of money. So like there's this huge what you'd call low hanging molecular fruit trove that's just under underutilized by us as human beings, um, because it doesn't fit with the existing incentives within that marketplace. And that's part of what we can address with the Pharma
0: Collective. Okay, Uh, now the Pharma Collective is a DAO, uh, decentralized autonomous organization. And before we get into exactly how the Pharma Collective solves for that particular problem that you're just describing, uh, there are members of our audience who probably don't even know what a DAO is. So could you just describe the basics of a DAO? Sure, first?
1: so essentially a decentralized autonomous organization at, at its simplest, it's like, um, it's like a group chat with a wallet attached to it. So um, where, where essentially you have a, some community organization features Um, And then the community can, as a group, decide what to invest in using that shared wallet. So they come together, they put money in the kitty, and then as a group, they decide how that money is dispersed. That's the simplest example of a DAO. And and, uh, on top of that, like there can be many other DAO features and DAOs are sort of um, styling themselves and slowly, I think, beginning to become a new kind of organization, like corporate ish organization uh, mm-hmm. in that it's a group of people coming together with shared goals in order to uh, uh, to accomplish something and um, and using financial means not like a not a volunteer organization um, and right. many of the earliest and most successful DAOs were investing clubs of one kind or another um, there are certainly other types of things that exist now that are dows um, but the investing club is a a, a pretty well understood and um, uh, version of a decentralized autonomous organization.
0: It, is it safe to assume that somebody who joins a DAO like the Pharma Collective and throws money into the kitty, as you say, uh, that they're looking for they're looking to maximize their return on that investment?
1: Historically, yes. So, in in your ordinary investing DAO, that would be the case. Um, mm-hmm. Because what we're trying to accomplish here is really about human health, as opposed to being about purely a profit motive. We're a nonprofit. No, um, a, at least it, it, as it's currently envisioned. Um, no profits will flow back to organization members, uh, to DAO members. What will instead happen is that the collective goals of that group will be driven forward. So um, whether that's helping to produce insulin or that's helping to repurpose drugs um, or helping to get various psychedelics approved for use in human beings, um, those are all goals that the group as a whole can undertake. And the other thing to uh, keep in mind about this is there's a, um, a a way for this to be very self-sustaining once um, we get going. So there's a model for nonprofits to subsidize and make impact as a group um, that we've seen trodden before. So the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation worked with Kiliad, um to develop a, a, a drug for cystic fibrosis um, a few years ago. And um, they were successful and the nonprofit ultimately uh, return, was able to receive about $10 billion, um, uh, as I've heard it, in the final um, accounting from Gilead for the investment that they made. Um, if we accomplish even a small percentage of that, the amount of impact that we'll be able to have on global health is going to be really, really significant in some of the ways that I'll talk about in a few minutes when we talk about the nuts and bolts of what the Pharma Collective will do.
0: What is the incentive for somebody to join something where they're not expecting to maximize their return on investment? I mean, what, Why are, are, are we looking at uh, a category of people who this is just a very personal thing to, and so there's enough of them, you can get some money flowing to get behind some yeah, some sort I of think, drug development.
1: I think in this case that's the that's the truth. So we've all been impacted by the um, the the state of our current health system. Um, it it's not working for a lot of people, um, and so I think this is a case where collective action where people donating to a nonprofit that ultimately is not looking for them to donate forever, but is looking to create a self-sustaining approach to solving problems that are very intimately personal for them, not being able to get insulin, their kids not being able to get chemotherapy drugs, Um, problems that are impacting millions of Americans. As soon as they hear that there's a way to address this as a group, um, people get very excited about it. So I think that's, that's the opportunity here. I think in other places um, there are models for doing this that are uh, a little more hybrid. So um, think like a, a, a B Corp where there's, uh, or a, a public benefit corporation where there's a profit motive and a social motive. Mm-hmm. And you know we've evaluated and continue to evaluate whether or not there are ways to, um, to work with B Corps in order to accomplish some of these goals.
0: Okay, so, so if we think about the the people for whom this is personal, do you need a certain critical mass of those people? I, I well, let me back up. Is is the collective divided into uh, categories of remedies or specific? For example, you mentioned insulin. Maybe there's a whole bunch of people who can't get insulin, and they see this as an avenue. So you have enough of those people who jump into the uh, insulin part of the collective, then they can potentially get some insulin flowing for their family member or something like, like how does. So, so the
1: way to think about that is yes, everybody has their own um, pet projects and needs, right? mm -hmm, And so, and the kitty is only so large at any given time. So we have to decide which proposals get funded and which proposals don't get funded. And ultimately um, that's the, the job of the, Dow to help to do, so if you want the money from this collective treasury to flow in the direction of the the areas that are most relevant for you, your job is to be as involved as possible to spread that message as far as possible and to get as many other people like you um, mm-hmm. to be part of the group so that as a group you can impact that goal and, i see yeah
0: so so uh the the different people who are contributing if you can find enough people if there's like um a chat group out there, a Facebook group or something, where there's tons of people who all kind of see a common problem, common cause in the drug development industry. They might all kind of get together, hey, this is a pretty good option. Let's all get in there. Let's all contribute some amount of money. And then they also have some influence over the governance of how the money from the collective is spent and maybe allocated to that particular drug development.
1: That's correct. So, mm-hmm. for example, um, last year, I think it was last year, there were some really major shortages of um, children's Advil and Tylenol, um, mm-hmm. acetaminophen and uh, uh, ibuprofen. And right. like it, if this had been up and running at that point, parents could have gotten together very readily, contribute a few bucks, and fix the shortage problem in this country. A, hmm. a big part of the reason that that occurs is because the margins for pharmaceutical generic production tend to be quite thin. And so companies have to make bets about where they're going to spend their time and effort in order to, to successfully produce the necessary drugs. You do something like this and you essentially de risk that process because the, um, the Dow can basically give a loan to the producing company to produce the drug and they know they have uh, a a market for it. And the risk is really limited to both parties. You've basically de-risked the transaction of producing those generic drugs for that market within that okay, environment so, well, walk us in a sustainable that process, way because you're not just yeah. you're not donating. You're not saying like, oh, here here's a donation for producing my Advil or my acetaminophen. You're acting like a, a little bit like a, a bank, but definitely like an investing organization that that removes risk from the equation of generics manufacturing. Um, why why manufacturing.
0: would the company that normally produces that not already be doing it if there's a sufficient market for it? Like if there's this, this many people who are willing to contribute to a DAO, wouldn't that same wouldn't some producer of generic uh ibuprofen see that and say okay there's something here i mean why would they actually have to go get a loan from a DAO? why can't they get a loan from a bank or somebody else what's why does this have to exist through uh blockchain and a DAO versus any other traditional finance structure
1: i mean i think it probably could uh Mm -hmm. you probably could get a, a loan from a bank but it might be a lot more difficult to justify that loan um and we can probably give better terms than the bank loan could. Uh, because, I
0: see. Oh, so there's a market. There's enough yeah. parents who are worried about this, and they're committed, whereas right. a bank could care less. Exactly. Just it's just like, hey,
1: what, what's the interest rate you're going to give me on this loan, right? Well, well right. we don't care. Like, we, it's a self-sustaining effort. We want to make some small level of profit in order to continue growing the momentum of the effort. But ultimately, if it's important enough, like, that doesn't really matter. Right. Like what what really matters to us is the human health goal that's associated. Right. And that's what right. really sets this apart. That's why it's it's valuable f- for us to have um, a, a, a mission that is human health focused as opposed to purely profit focused, because when you mm-hmm. when you focus purely on profit, you end up in the places where we've ended up. Your values right. are misaligned with
0: your needs. And of course, the bank's going to not only look at the interest rate they can make, but they're going to look at the actual business profit, the the um... What it is that's being developed and just and, dis- and they're going to make some decisions about the viability of just that product in the market and we're to have enough- if they're even sophisticated
1: right. enough to do so so let's talk about some of the other things that we can do here right because like okay. the production the subsidization is the lowest hanging fruit and the first thing that we're definitely going to do mm-hmm. but like above that there's a whole universe of other things that we can do so let's talk about repurposing for a minute so my co-founder de urso um uh uh, he has a company called Genetic Networks out of Florida. They, um, they focus on drug discovery using yeasts. So he started the company with a Nobel Prize winner, and some mm-hmm. of that Nobel Prize winner's the subsequent work um, focuses on this idea called modular biology. Essentially, you can use yeasts to screen drugs for efficacy in human, in human beings, right? It's very effective, high-fidelity technique. Now, during the pandemic, um, very quickly after it became clear that this was going to be a global pandemic, Genetic Network screened um, uh, seven drugs, uh, using their technology identified seven drugs that were very likely to be um, efficacious for reducing hospitalization in COVID. And subsequently, um, they were able to show Uh, that two of those drugs in combination actually did reduce hospitalization by over 53%. Could have had a massive effect on the global pandemic, right? Sure. When they took these opportunities to pharmaceutical companies, um, they couldn't get anyone interested in doing the phase trials to demonstrate whether or not this was actually true, to test these drugs for efficacy. Why? Because they were generics. Because no one could make enough money from producing them, they were not investigated. And as a result we suffered through far more deaths than we otherwise would have had to do, right? Mm -hmm. That infuriated my partner and really catalyzed the repurposing-focused mission part of this. So there are, um, as I said, over 10,000 generic drugs that are generally recognized as safe, many of which are good for other things than what they were originally studied for, but no one will touch them. So we need an entity and a, a means of investing in those drugs in ways that make sense for human health.
0: So we'll so take the the, the the low-hanging fruit first was just hey there's a market that's living and people are there's enough of a market for something and nobody's recognizing it, the banks don't want to fund it, so this can help get we've got shortages, know, re- we've got a way to address yeah.
1: the shortages. Let's deal with that. That's the simplest thing. But the level above the, that is really impactful for human health, right? It's like so if because generic drugs have already been through all three phases of FDA trials. If you want to prove that they're good for something else, you don't have to do phases one and two. You can just do a phase three trial. You can say, all right, mm-hmm. I think that this drug is good for heart disease, right? Mm-hmm. Based on the fact that it's being used off-label for heart disease all over the place, right? But no one will, uh, uh, will, will, will pay for it um, uh, within the health system because it it isn't proven or, or what have you, right? Just as insurance
0: companies, for example, like insurance company, insurance company won't pay, won't pay for the medication because it hasn't been improved because it's off-label. Ketamine is actually a
1: perfect example of this, right? So ketamine is being widely used off-label for treatment resistant depression, um, to the point where there's clinics across the country, like people in my family included, who have been positively impacted by ketamine, which is a generic drug for treatment-resistant depression and for um, uh, 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 postpartum, like like magic, right? But the insurance companies will not cover it because there is not enough, like no one has done the work to get it through the phase three trials for treatment-resistant depression. Just need a
0: phase three trial and you're done. And there
1: are some efforts to do that. So if you Mm -hmm. do that, um, if you do it and you do it in a, in a particular form, you can get something called a 505B2 patent from the FDA, which is not a 20-year patent that's exclusive for any any use of the drug. It's um, it's just a temporary patent that gets you three to seven years for that form and that condition. And with that patent, you can make tens to hundreds of millions of dollars producing that treatment for that issue, but you can't make billions, right? With this comes the opportunity for a repurposing model that is publicly responsible because we can take a drug that is not that is a generic drug that we know is safe for use in humans we can get it approved by running a phase three trial on it for a couple million dollars like your average phase three trial is two to twenty million dollars and if you're really smart about it and you use telehealth and some of the things that we developed during the pandemic to do things like administer the medication you can really drop a lot of those costs half of all trial costs are site costs So like just bringing people physically to a place and when you cut that out, uh, you can really reduce the amount of cost for for doing this. Um, You run that trial and you get that temporary patent and then you reinvest those profits in doing it over and over and over again. We can create Mm -hmm. an engine for drug development in the public interest that does not exist in the current ecosystem.
0: It's not even drug development; it's just drug testing. Quite frankly, like, like it's. So, in, in this world, cases.
1: we refer to like finding the substance as discovery, and we refer to taking it through phase trials, like one, two, and three, and then production as development. That's those okay. are sort of the way that language the vocabulary. Is used. Yeah, the vocabulary of the, the 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 terms of art, right? Um, yeah. so, so like, you know, a lot of people talk about DSI in this space. We really think of ourselves as D-Dev and the DSI as being sort of the, that primary like substance identification thing. And what we're doing is really about like taking stuff to market.
0: So, so, uh, I imagine that this is going to get even crazier because one of the things that I heard about recently, I believe it was on NPR was that, um, artificial intelligence Yes can like very quickly, some of the better artificial intelligence can very quickly identify some of these mixtures of drugs that are likely to solve a problem or even molecular, like, uh, com you know, uh, um, I don't know anything about about the field, the science, but but uh, literally discover the artificial intelligence can t- discover the probability of some new molecular combination that had never been attempted before and its efficacy against some particular disease, like 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 so much faster and so much more cheaply than anything else that's in existence today. Is it, that, it's
1: so it, exciting. It, it's a really exciting yeah. moment in that space and like. And, and actually, the combination of that technology I was talking about before from genetic networks, that that raw data combined with artificial intelligence is a really powerful combination together. Because, you know, of course, living biological systems are incredibly complex, right? So um, part of the challenge with artificial intelligence has been like that the level of complexity can be so high that unless you have... Um, a truly enormous amount of data about the genetic response of various genes uh, to given pharmaceutical compounds. Like it's, it's um, you, you don't have the right kind of data to make the right kind of inference about what's actually happening. But mm-hmm. um, I, we do see a huge opportunity coming up in that space. The problem is going to continue being the case that like, even when we identify <laughs> good opportunities, unless they're patentable in the way that they will result in the, like, you know, what we just discussed $40 billion worth of revenue. And, and, you know, as that continues to go up as inflation increases, they're not going to be researched. So we need publicly responsible investing organizations that have goals that aren't just that, in order to bring the type of human health impact that we want to see from artificial intelligence to the marketplace and to the people.
0: Okay, Uh, we talked all the way through this so we talked about the low hanging fruit maybe the i don't know is there any more uh high-hanging fruit above fruit? The- yeah yeah so
1: <laughs> so the, the high hanging fruit right the high hanging fruit is uh is uh, competitive on patent trucks so like if if you like you're gonna you're gonna subsidize the production you're gonna repurpose generics and then once you have a sufficient like let's say let's say we are successful with two or three different programs um uh, or, or several different programs at the multi-hundred million-dollar mm-hmm. level, right? Or we get, like, a really big donation from, um, from a, a, a wealthy individual who's seeing the impact that we're having, right? At that point... Or, or, or who has a
0: relative, right? Like, or has a, a relative, do right? <laughs> that They yeah, want to yeah. get something,
1: something researched. Yeah. They'll do anything. They'll, they'll do, do anything, anything, right? So, so yeah. at that point, um, you can do development from phase one through phase three. So you know there's I have a lot of suspicions about the reasons that some of these drugs cost so much to get through phase trials and some of it might be regulatory capture some of it um, is probably just that it it serves these companies to have high expenses in some of these spaces mm-hmm. um, because it allows them to help to justify the cost that they ultimately charge on the other side um, right but so but like if you can take a drug from absolutely off patent to on patent that serves a lot of people then now we're talking about billions of dollars now and we're talking, we're about, talking billions. about billions of, course, of dollars into a nonprofit focused on human health not profit right and
0: like, you talk you talked about the math earlier you said that it was like um i want to say uh two billion dollars a year for 20 years or something like that that's where you get the 40 billion but that number is just going to keep going up over – we're and it's in a, a moment huge, in time.
1: It's a huge chunk of our of our spending as a society on pharmaceuticals. Yeah. And and the vast majority of the spend is on, on patent drugs, not on generics. So it's yeah. like 95.5 or something crazy like that. But even though like the so, prescription – like in terms of the amount of drugs that we take, that's completely flipped. So,
0: so for our audience, when we talk about a DAO, we talk about, so I think we understand the basic structure here. Can you help them understand where blockchain plays a role? Like sure, in a DAO? so
1: blockchain essentially allows us to um, to democratize the voting around how the treasury is deployed. So it's actually a two-stage process where we have, because we're not expecting our members to um, be able to vet the proposals that are coming through effectively, right? Like your, your, your average person can't decide between like, a scam and a real proposal but we have you know we started this company uh it, 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 this uh nonprofit with some really sophisticated scientists and researchers so we have volunteers who can function in an advisory role to review the proposals that come through and identify the ones that are real uh, across a bunch of dimensions in terms of financial viability and whether or not the companies involved are reputable, et cetera. So those that are real come through for an up-down vote by the rest of the, the DAO group. And that's where your insulin community versus your childhood chemotherapy community versus your, uh, you know, your other ketamine. community, your, your ketamine community or, your, or what mm. have you, that's where that comes into play. And they decide like, okay, which one are we going to do next? How are we deploying the treasury now? Right. So, and, so
0: uh, the treasury is the money that's going in, it's, it's probably going in and then there's a token that's associated with the Dow. Uh, there's a go- it's a governance token. We are actually
1: we plan to do governance and it's NFTs because one of our, our, uh, oh, okay. our, um, at, at least at the moment, like one of our, our, our uh, fundraising approaches um, that we've we're exploring is, is collaborations with artists. So like you could get like a, mm-hmm. a real digital artist whose art, has value by virtue of their previous work, Um, doing a a collaborative collection with us where like your entrance NFT is their thing, right? Is their piece of digital art. And we split the proceeds and it's basically partly a donation from them to us and partly a collaborative marketing effort.
0: I see. So uh, just people understand the mechanics, um, you, you have some US dollars, you have to go to an exchange, maybe trade that in for the token that we're talking about. Yeah, essentially. Yeah,
1: essentially. Yes. Like you're probably yeah. going to need at least USDC, although like some of these platforms now um, will enable you to purchase more directly with USD via like a square based on ramp. I see. Um, but so we're, we're trying to make that as as uh, as painless as possible going forward.
0: And are you on a particular blockchain? Uh,
1: I, I am not able to disclose that at this time.
0: Oh, okay. So, yeah, uh, we're not up and running yet. It's so still we're, in we're running in terms
1: of we're taking donations, our white paper's done. The, mm-hmm. we're, we're actively um, working with companies that would be the first few proposals associated with mm-hmm. funding. And we're very actively working against fundraising with high net worth individuals um, because I that see. would be very helpful within this environment to rapidly get up and running. Um, But uh, in terms of the voting logic, that is not yet complete. And as you would imagine, there are several L1s and L2s who, like, look, this this starts to do what we're talking about doing here, and it changes Mm -hmm. the whole conversation around blockchain. Because uh, like the, the, the discussion of like, oh, this is only good for money laundering or this is this is like the technology is not mature enough to have a real impact on the world. Well, we start producing insulin, we start producing childhood chemotherapy drugs, and it's because a Dow is helping to direct these kinds of funds against human health goals like and we build a drumbeat of those stories. We're repurposing medications like that completely changes the discussion. And sure,
0: because uh, right now, blockchain has a, bit, a pretty good PR problem, uh, right? Right, uh, exactly. Not, not, not helped by crypto or anything like that or Sam Bankman-Fried. But so um, let's, uh, you know, we understand blockchain, we understand the DAO, we understand the, the application here and the cause. It's, it's very, it seems very noble, not quite off the ground yet. Um, uh, so um, where can people find more about this? So Go to Um,
1: .io. um mm-hmm. We also have a farm collective on Twitter. Um, And Instagram, but uh, just go to the website, sign up for the mailing list, we will keep you apprised of um, all the developments and we uh, are very actively working with um, some L2s to... Make a lot of progress quickly, as you can imagine. Those grant programs Mm -hmm. are very interesting from the perspective of getting something like this off the ground. Um, And so, you're looking
0: for maybe some uh, some investment from the L2s or the L1s that have a ones or
1: L2s that 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 have large treasuries, because like really, like we're we're going to start making a significant impact. you you need some money to get started but once it's running because this is a self-sustaining engine here right we mm-hmm. we don't necessarily need to keep taking on additional dollars but we kickstart this and it's going to start moving pretty quickly
0: you mentioned um you know we talked about the pr problem that we're dealing yeah. with i just wrote an article a whole article about that by the way the lawmakers and business person's guide to uh the non-crypto applications of of blockchain uh, and and talked a little bit about the the, the PR problem that blockchain has and how it's uh, so tightly associated with crypto and all the bad news about crypto. It's just kind of like, so uh, um, what other industries, I mentioned that we're gonna talk about this. And what other, this is an interesting model um, and you know, I can, everybody can understand it. I think everybody's got a real, as you pointed out, we all have somebody in our family, um, who is suffering from something and we feel like there could be more done to address it more in the way of drugs. And boy, oh boy, I think a lot of people would be upset to learn, oh, wait a minute, there's actually a better drug that could be done, but it's been killed because of the profit situation or something like, that. like that's, you just feel robbed when you hear that, whether you're a family member or the patient themselves. Uh, so, um, where else does this sort of like, you know, dynamic exist where you think DAOs could apply?
1: You know, I think any place where um, where the incentives are really dramatically against the um, smaller, mid-sized players.
0: Is there um, another example of that besides the pharmaceutical industry? There must be something. I, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I'm sure you you think about this every day.
1: So I, I do spend the vast majority of my time thinking about the healthcare implications of this. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think um I think we've seen a bunch of DAOs so like if you want to collectively invest in something where um where there is uh, like you can't effectively compete against larger players as renewable energy development. renewable energy development great great example right yeah so we need we need to be able to effectively um, purchase against a large player in the industry as a group of individual manufacturers we need silicone or we we, we need mm-hmm. uh, we need panels right like uh, I think Dow organizations for small and mid-sized players that essentially function as like group on for industry are a really interesting potential application.
0: Right? I mean, we're really just talking about uh, an alternative channel for philanthropic effort to take place than the to, you know, I, well, you, in this, this case, it trend... doesn't even necessarily have to be philanthropic,
1: right? It can just be about aggregating buying power yeah. and investing power in ways that are good for entities to work as a group where nobody has to be the leader in that way that it's historically been the case, right? Right. So like, let's say in that space, You've got like a a massive, massive solar player, right, who can, as a result of their size, can purchase panels for vastly less than any of the smaller players, right? Mm -hmm. But if you aggregated all the small installers together, they'd be as large or bigger than that player. So how do you help those small installers get the prices that the big player's getting? Yeah, you want to get like a a cooperative vote. Exactly. You need some kind of cooperative. Well, historically, like, whoever runs that cooperative has an undue amount of influence over the impact and too much information versus the other players. Well, the DAO sort of fixes that problem, right? Right, because nobody's in charge. Nobody's in charge. It creates a voting mechanism where. Everybody's participating transparently in the decision about how to deploy the, that cash, right? So that group of manufacturers can get together and transparent, transparently negotiate together for uh, for the kinds of, of yeah. deals that the larger player is getting, right? I think that. I think opportunity... about.
0: I think about, about trade. lengths. Right, yeah. you, you probably heard of that. Mm-hmm. Right, the whole thing went down. You know, it didn't didn't work out because two companies were in control of the whole exactly. thing. Exactly, it, it was a whole it was a whole idea of forming a cooperative in, in the supply chain industry. But the problem was is that still two companies control the whole thing. Um, you know, IBM and Maersk, and so therefore a lot of other companies that might have otherwise participated were like, wait a minute, um, th- those two companies get an unfair amount of un- uh, uh, undue influence over the whole you know decision making. All the- so we're- no. Uh, You know, imagine if that had been a much more democratized process, then you might have seen many more companies get involved. And it still could.
1: Right. That's still an opportunity. I think I think blockchain and and DAOs have only just begun to sort of penetrate the like the great promise of blockchain has always been remove middleman. Right. Remove rent seeking middleman. And I think like there's a version of that that is remove or, or uh, reduce the power of like massive <laughs> um, yeah. uh, uh, industry distorting player, right? I like that.
0: Re- remove, re- remove rent-seeking middlemen. That's a really good uh, metaphor to use when you're talking to people about the, the value proposition of blockchain. Exactly. Anytime yeah.
1: you're looking at your industry and you're thinking to yourself like, okay, where does blockchain apply? Figure out in between yeah. you and your customer, or, or you and your supplier, who's extracting the most rent along yeah. those chains, right? There's almost certainly an application for blockchain for blockchain in there somewhere. So, yep. where's the rent? Yeah. That's where you'll see where the opportunity is for blockchain.
0: Disintermediate the middleman. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Israel Mirsky, you're the uh, co-founder and uh, or, or one no, of the founding members. Co-founder. <laughs> yeah, co-founder and, and uh, director of the Pharma Collective. We'll put up some contact information for the Pharma Collective and for you. Thank you very much for joining us on the Blockchain Journal podcast.
1: Wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for the time. Looking forward to uh, more
0: from all of your members. Thank you very much. You've been listening to the Blockchain Journal podcast. I'm your host, David Berlin. For more videos like this one, you can go to our YouTube channel. Uh, we're easy to find at youtube.com slash, I think it's at blockchain journal. You can also find us, of course, at blockchainjournal.com where all of our videos are not only posted, but the full text transcript of the interview can be found there. And you can also find us on all the different, uh, podcast services like Spotify. So, uh, go any, on any podcast service, you'll be able to listen. Listen to the audio of this on your train ride or in your car, however you want to do it, or this and all other videos. So thanks very much for joining us, and we'll see you at the next podcast.